Welcome to another episode of the Life Group Leader Podcast. We're your host, Hayden and Evan. As always, Life Group Leaders, we're so glad to be back. We are back. It's been a couple weeks off. It's been too long. And now we're back. And we may have taken a break, but our mission never did. At Compass Bible Church, we Ooh. exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ by reaching people for Christ, teaching people to be like Christ, and training people to serve Christ in everything we do here. Everything. Including this podcast. This very one. It's to fulfill the mission of reaching, teaching, and training. Making disciples. We are just smack dab in the middle of our summer series entitled Sermon on the Mount. This text uh, was on loving your enemies, which was uh, quite a text and left some questions that you may need to answer in your uh, life group. Groups of life. We'll go over some of that, but also listen into the Compass Equip podcast where we will answer some questions others have submitted to us. So life group leaders, make sure you hit up that podcast as well. But in the meantime, Pastor Evan, why don't you read us the text that we have talked about on Sunday morning? It would be my pleasure. Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. I mean, that's what you call a uh, mic drop right there. That was it. That was like a bomb that Jesus dropped. So, Pastor Hayden, what was your main point to Jesus' mic drop? The main point was, as Christians, you have a responsibility to display your relationship with God by reflecting His benevolence and concern for all people, including your enemies. Wonderful. And how is that expressed in three points? Love others indiscriminately. Reject the world's superficial definition of love and intentionally pursue progressive holiness. That sums up well what Jesus was teaching there in those few verses. Wonderful. Well, here's a a few questions to help prepare us as life group leaders to Mm -hmm. be able to lead our life groups. I'm just trying to think through, okay, if I'm a person in life group, what was the questions I may have Mm -hmm. is, okay, here's a simple question. How does the Bible define love? Yeah, I mean, obviously, 1 Corinthians 13 is a, is a wonderful place to start, particularly in concerning our love, the way that we ought to love people. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things, and endures all things. Therefore, love never ends there in verse 8. I think that's a great way for us to define the way we ought to love, uh, and, it, and it is indicative of God's love that we would display our love in that way. The way I also define it in the sermon is that we, love is self-giving, self-sacrificing, and seeking the good of others, even our enemy. And so I think that verse with that definition is a helpful way to define biblical love. Now, there's and this is what's interesting in Scripture that we always have to understand is Scripture, every single thing in Scripture does not always define the way that God would have you do it. Right? Scripture defines things as they are or as they happen. I think in the Old Testament is a great example of this. Like When we see in Scripture 
the way that people lived or even the way that people disobeyed, it's what Scripture is doing is telling you, here's how it was. It doesn't hide the sins and the warts of people. And so we got to be careful to say, well, well, just because so-and-so did this thing doesn't mean that that would be God's, God's desire or God's will for you, uh, which we'll talk about, including at least somewhat we'll touch on it with the imprecatory Psalms uh, of, of David. It's like just because David... Uh, was angry and was is casting and, and pronouncing God's judgment on people, on one hand, doesn't mean that that's what our normative response to our enemies ought to be, although in, in another way that David, as the ruler of Israel, had had a very good right as the uh, king of Israel to uh, petition to God for the, both the preservation of his country and also the condemnation of his foes. But even then, you have to ten- you know, there's the tension, not even the tension, the realization that, well, what did David do with someone who was his enemy and persecuted him? Like solemn Absalom, right? Well, and, and those and the, the Absalom, I understand because we, we're just kind of dialoguing back and forth, life group leaders. But maybe helpful for you to, to tag along. Uh, Absalom's his son. I'm just trying. I'm trying to play both sides of this. On, on one hand, it's mm-hmm. da- David. Uh, Absalom was David's son, so okay, that one's easy. Uh, my son may be my enemy, but I don't want to hate him. Uh, and then we know why David did not pursue Saul because Saul was God's anointed. Mm-hmm. And so, so that one's easy. Those two are a little bit easy to kind of dismiss in a sense because David was was doing what God wanted. But what about when David Goliath prayed for his enemies to be destroyed, and he says, "I hate those that you hate." I mean, those are questions that we're going to to, to look at later and, and give a partial explanation and definition, in as much as my intellect and understanding of Scripture can. But uh, I think it is worth saying that imprecatory psalms probably are not. Uh, the, the the thing that we should always be trying to replicate in our own lives, although that we can see a place to pray for the justice of God to win out and to rule out. And there are times where we would pray that God's justice would uh, prevail even upon our enemies, whether that means that he in his kindness would save them or um, in his uh, in his providence and provision would judge them and condemn them. Uh, we should just make sure that we understand, hey, uh, the New Testament it explains uh, in so many ways the Old Testament, and if Jesus tells us that we ought not to hate our enemies, we need to look at the Old Testament and say, well, how does how does Jesus correcting uh, correcting our understanding of what it means to love even our enemies, uh, and how does the Old Testament give us a future hope of saying there is coming a time where we could, uh, with great conviction, love our enemies because God has loved his enemies and taught us how to do that. So, I mean, that may be not answering the question fully, although we haven't really had a, much of a question yet, but uh, other than defining love. Yeah, and then the next question is, okay, you already kind of touched upon yeah. it, like with the Old Testament verses and, and praying judgment of people, so we can kind of... Yeah, well, other comments on going. that? Yeah, uh, the imprecatory psalm, psalms are, can be defined as uh, when people are, uh, when like David is... Uh, calling misfortune upon his enemies or uh, calling down destruction or, or on, on people uh, and judgment on his enemies. Uh, and we see that throughout the Psalms. Psalm 59 is one of them. Psalm 5, Psalm 137. Uh, these are examples of uh, imprecatory Psalms. Uh, and we need to understand a couple of things when it comes to these imprecatory Psalms. David isn't calling out these people because he has a personal vendetta, right? He's not being vindictive. He's not seeking for an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth based, based on his personal... Uh, keyword personal. Personal. It is the keyword. Personal 
anger, but he's calling that down in the name of God's justice as the king of Israel and calling on God's protection and justice and sovereignty in mind. And so that's a huge one, right? This idea that that we ought not to use imprecatory psalms uh, as our uh, validation for personal vengeance or uh, or for the reason why we ought to hate our our, our enemies. Like we got to recognize that that God has loved His enemies. He's loved you in such a way where He has uh, cared for you and brought you to a place of salvation in Christ Jesus. And so uh, we ought to look at the imprecatory psalms as, as real uh, examples of. Um, David's and Israel's desire for God's justice, even against their enemies, uh, but it shouldn't be the reason why we utilize the imprecatory psalms for personal uh, vendettas and personal vengeance on others. And as a life group leader, I think that'd be helpful to explain that kind of that definition uh, well to your group. Well, and then here, here's another question, kind of based on point number one: love others indiscriminately. Uh, we're going to have that question in life group. I think. People in our church are asking really good questions, and how, yeah. how do I do this? And so, even actually, it's one of the application questions they're going to be doing. And so, when I set you up as life group leaders, mm. is what does loving indiscriminately look like practically? Don't discriminate on who you love. <laughs> well done. There you go. Yeah, yeah moving I mean, on. Yeah, I just, I, I, when I look at that, it's just like it's so broad that it's it's so clear, and it's the broad use of the language is like, hey. Quit drawing distinctions on who you love and, and, and who you've... And I think it this way, stop excluding people from your love. Like you are not the arbiter of, of love, which means you don't, get to, you don't get to mediate it. It's like, and so if you understand that, to say there's no one outside of my circle of love and to say I have to, as a Christian, liberally love even my enemies. And so practically, I'm going to love my enemies. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to look out for their good. I mean, and this is not foreign to the Old Testament. I mean, even even in Leviticus, and I, and I believe in Deuteronomy, it teaches, hey, if your enemy's ox is laying under his burden and no one is around, you are responsible for taking that burden. And what it means by that is under the yoke. Like, he's got a load on his back and no one's there. You have to go take the weight off of your enemy's ox. Like, you want to talk about indiscriminately loving? It's a law. Like, you don't get to decide if you get to go over there and do that. You're doing that because it's the law. The law of love is that we go indiscriminately love others and look out for their good, even if they're unkind or discompassionate to us. All right. And a good text, actually, is going to be Romans chapter uh, 12, verses 9 to 21, especially the latter half, which helps us be able to love others practically, um, especially those who we have a bad relationship with, especially um, those who are enemies. Uh, just kind of pull that up real quickly. And in terms of you know, bless those who persecute you, bless and not curse them. I love that you brought up the mm-hmm. uh, driving thing, something I had to took very personally because Candace is like, kind of showed me, hey, this is an area of weakness for you to say you get upset at bad drivers. So what I do is I actively pray for their well-being. That God would be with them, that if there's a conviction need to be had, there would be conviction that they get there safely so that God can lead them to himself if they're not mm-hmm. Christians or not. Um, to rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, don't be prideful, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is 
honorable in the sight of all. That's why I love about that. It's like, all right, what would all of society say? That was a really good thing to do. Yep. And then finally, if uh, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. There's a practical thing. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Why? For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil. Even with even that good. text, right? I was doing a little bit of uh, studying on that text. Like in doing so, you will heap burning coals on their head. It's like so. Why do we do good for people? So that we can hurt them. It's like that's not the meaning of that text, right? That that text is either like you're bringing conviction upon them of the looming judgment if they don't repent, or that idea that you would heap burning coals on their head. That there's a coming judgment if they won't repent from what they're doing. But it's not so that you can. You find joy in their demise. That's not at all what that text means. But, uh, but yeah, I think that that's a great text that kind of gives us practically some steps we can take to practically love even our enemies. All right. Well, moving moving on. Point number two: reject the world's superficial definition of love. Here's a practical question for us, life group leaders, trying to present to our life group: is how does God's love outshine the world's love? Well, it's like that. Uh, illustration for the crocodile dundee right it's just you show them a comprehensive definition of what love is and it and it really uh, overshadows significantly the superficial love of the world uh, very quickly and there is really nothing like the love of god it played out in our society and uh, there's only counterfeits and so when when we are loving the way that God loves, I mean, there, there is there is no question the distinguishing nature and the qualitative difference between the way that God loves and the way that people love. And, yeah, wonderful. Mm. That was really good. Moving on to the third point. Third. We haven't been at this for a while, so we're getting the we first have. We've been here. Oh, no. No, we've been here a long time today, but, yeah, we haven't done this in Podcast. a few weeks. Yeah. Intentionally pursue progressive holiness. And so this is one where there's clear, mysterious tension, but there is biblical truths that are pretty clear. So what is the Holy Spirit's role and then our role with progressive sanctification? Before I do that, I mean, you can go back to that text there in Matthew, and you, you see a little bit of this inclusio there in the in the text that I didn't talk much about. What verse? Uh, well, obviously the last verse there was 48. Uh, yes. Okay, uh, and then verse 20 of chapter 5. And it says, Therefore I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And imagine that, in that last verse in verse 48, if you just read it from there, understanding the inclusio, it says, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus draws this distinction between the perfection of the Father and the righteousness of the Pharisees. And then he spends the time in between those two texts talking about the love, the, the, the character of the Pharisees and their righteousness uh, compared to or in contrast with God's righteousness. You see that through that whole text. I didn't have a lot. There's just so much I wanted to preach in this text, but that's a really important distinguish, dis, uh, the distinguishment to make there in that text that Jesus is saying the there is a reality of the righteousness that does not save when it comes to you trying to do that on your own terms, but there is a righteousness that does truly uh, 
extend out of you when you are empowered by the Holy Spirit to pursue the perfection that God has desired of you through the Holy Spirit. So now with that, we can go to that question. What's the question? Now with that, what is the Holy Spirit's role and our role with progressive sanctification? Even though that text is to kind of really show everyone's condemned, everyone has failed, Mm -hmm. uh, to lead them to the, point them to the Savior in Christ. Now we're saved. Well, even that, right? You're talking about Matthew? Yes. Even that, and this is why I think that's such an that's such a, a great thing is Jesus, because we think about the audience of Jesus, which is the crowd and the disciples, the Pharisees, the scribes are there. But then you have to ask, well, who is Matthew's audience? Christians. Well, so we're having to sit here. It was Matthew's was Matthew's desire to judge people of their unrighteousness to his readers. Maybe. Or was he calling us to apply the Sermon on the Mount according to the righteousness of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit? It's a little bit of both for the years. It is both, right? It is both. And that's why you have to sit there and say, it's both. And so we have to ask how the Christian reader is going to read this, which was the audience of the, the Gospel of Matthew was Christians. How do we apply this? And so, yeah, I, I think we start there, and then you ask, what is the role of the Holy Spirit? Well, what does the Bible say the role of the Holy Spirit is, as we talk back and forth? What is it? To condemn the world of—well, to judge the world, yeah. sin, righteousness, and judgment. Okay, there, there's one text. Okay, what about the text where he's called your helper? And also to walk by the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's talk about what is a helper? What, what is he helping you do? Be holy. Yes, there you go. I mean, over and over again, what is the Holy Spirit's role? The Holy Spirit's role, that's all the texts that I can think of off the top of my head, right? It seals you for salvation. There you go. The down payment of your salvation. So the third person of the triune Godhead is the proof of your uh, relationship with God. Uh, and as that down payment, he's also, uh, his work is to sanctify you according to what we have just said. Uh, and so we trust in the power of the Holy Spirit uh, to grow us in our faith and to be the helper that is there to progress us in reflecting the character of God. So helper, okay? With that, within there, what is our role? If, if there's a helper, then we, are, we have a role in progressive sanctification, unlike justification where we have no part to play other than responding to that which God has produced in our lives, repentance and faith. And then, but there's a, there's a, a progressive sanctification. There's a role, there's a responsibility, a cooperation. Uh, uh, what is the word I used in service? It's the, the word, uh, it, it's a word that we use in, in theology about the way that I, synergy, right? This Synergenic. Yeah, it, it's, it's me and the Holy Spirit working, working together. But, Without the Holy Spirit, there would be zero progressing in sanctification. But with that, uh, much like the text that I showed you in the sermon in 1 Timothy 6 through 11, where you have Paul telling Timothy to pursue righteousness. To pursue righteousness means that I have a part to play in it, that I have a pursuit of this, a desire uh, that is innate in me through the Holy Spirit and the new heart that has been given to me to progress in the sanctification. So our, our role is to submit to the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's a thing. Is, that's a, I think one of the important things is, what is my role? To submit to the Holy Spirit's conviction. And as I submit to the Holy Spirit's conviction and walk out what Scripture is teaching, it is going to sanctify me. I think, I think that's the best summation you yeah. could have there you said. Go. So there you go. To submit to the Holy Spirit hmm. through his 
the revelation that he's provided and the conviction that matches that revelation. Right. And so that is a great thing for us life group leaders to remember, to help our people. To go, okay, what do, I, what do I do? How do I do this? Mm-hmm. You submit yourself to the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. Well, Pastor, is there any, any other final thoughts for us life group leaders as we prepare to get ready for our life groups coming back this week? Yeah, I mean, I'd leave you with this. When it comes to applying God's Word, and there are there is, number one, there, there are questions that people have of how do I apply this specifically in my situation? And we're going to talk about some of that in the Equip podcast. Uh, but we got to make sure that in, that we're not trying to make exceptions of why I'm not going to do what God's Word says. Like, a lot, oftentimes people are trying to find the loophole much like the lawyer did in the Good Samaritans, try to figure out how I cannot do what God wants me to do. It's one thing to have genuine questions about how do I in this situation apply this text to a very difficult situation. It's a whole other thing to try to make yourself an exception to God's Word. And uh, it's going to be helpful for you guys to navigate that this week with your life group, uh, that, that we are making sure that we are drawing a line and saying we're not going to allow people to give excuses of why we're not going to apply God's word, but we are trying to help them uh, say, you know what, that is a difficult situation. And we need to take that into consideration as we look at how to apply loving your enemies and loving those who persecute you um, because that person is dealing with that in real time. So I think making that distinguish uh, that, that uh, designation is going to be helpful for your group. Other than that, uh, I'm praying for your group as we come back this week. It's interestingly, three weeks ago, our last life group, we hit a life group record, a life group attendance record. We had 300 adults and students in life groups. Woo-hoo! And so I can imagine your groups are going to be growing over the next couple of weeks. And if not growing, a bunch of your people are going to be coming back. So be praying for the growth of the faith uh, of your, of your uh, life group, I pray. All right, well, Pastor Hayden, what announcements do we have for our life group leaders? Women's breakfast, July 22nd. That's this coming up week. Saturday at 9 a.m. 9 a.m. So all you gals, be there for that. Prayer night that next evening from 5 to 6.30 p.m. And I want to give one other announcement that's not on here. We have uh, our uh, memorial uh, for for Mark, uh, who's coming up uh, this This next... Yeah, on Saturday before... Uh, the the women's breakfast after the women's breakfast right and so for those of you who didn't know that Mark had, had passed away a, a few weeks ago in a car accident uh, you know, his widow Cynthia is with their new baby uh, Mark Jr. and uh, we just wanted to announce that to you guys here that that funeral is going to be next week at four o'clock I believe is the time and we just want to invite you as life group leaders and maybe have you invite those in your group who would like to uh, celebrate uh, the life of Mark and also mourn with his family at that funeral on the 22nd. And for for Life Group men, we have a lot of facility um, flipping needed yep. to be happening. And so uh, if, you, if you're able to, our facilities team can use your help to help facilitate that. We need to flip it from the women's breakfast to the funeral service. And then after the funeral service, we need to flip it again to reception. And right. Then, and then after reception, flip it for Sunday. And so, yep. and for ba- for baptism and Sunday. For baptism Sunday. So uh, need a lot your, of help. Let your, let your life group men know if you're able. If they're coming, if they can stick around and help, yep. that'll be a huge help. And then the next day, we have baptism service. We have prayer night that, that night. Uh, family room is available for the families with kids. Our revival is coming up. Our summer revival. 
themed the Kingdom of Heaven for our students, 6th through 12th grade, from July the 27th through July the 30th, that Sunday. Registration is still open, so if you need anyone to sign up for that, you can tell them the link is still available for them online. And then our last summer kids camp, our science camp, is open. Registration is open for that. They need to sign up before July the 30th. And then finally, our baptism service, August 27th. Although this one's full for next Sunday, we have another one filling up on August the 27th, and it's open for registration. If you know anyone who needs to be baptized, have them sign up there. Okay, Life Group leaders, we're praying for you this week. Excited that Life Groups are back. Looking forward to hearing how your Life Groups go this week. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.